Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock. I'm your host for the program, and we are talking today with Susan Mundahl. She's the senior attorney at Mundahl Law. For today's topic, we're going to be looking at step-parent adoptions step-by-step this primarily refers to the state of Minnesota. That's right. It's where I'm licensed to practice, although I certainly think the principles are probably the same throughout the United States. From what I understand, there's three essential steps for how this works with a step-parent adoption. Tell us about that. The first step is where you're terminating the parental rights of the biological parent of the child. Then the second step is actually filing the paperwork. Once you file the paperwork, the county steps in and they at least have to do what's called an Adam Walsh study. And then the third, which is the best step, is actually going to court and having the judge finalize the adoption. That's it in brief, and I'd love to talk about it in detail. With respect to step number one, terminating the biological parent's parental rights, can you define kind of a relatively typical situation in a case where you're going to have to have a parent terminate their rights? The usual cases I've seen, in every case it has been a father who is uninvolved with the child, has had no relationship with the child whatsoever. The technical term might be called they've abandoned the child. In some cases, the mother has never named any father for the child, and so there is no man listed on the birth certificate. And those cases are all somewhat the same. There is a disinterested parent. It doesn't always have to be a man. You're just saying that in general terms... What might another situation be? That's where we're getting into a subject for another day, which is these third-party adoptions. And I actually had a grandfather who adopted a child because neither of the parents wanted to be parents anymore. We also see this when there's been a child protection action. And so in some cases, the parental rights have already been terminated. Okay, specifically with step-parents. So we have, in the case that you referred to, a father, could be the other way around, but the other parent wants their spouse to be able to be the child's parent now. Correct. The new spouse. And it's really important for me that I speak with the new spouse because that is the person who is going to be taking on the legal responsibilities of parenthood. And I want them to make sure they understand that they are actually going to be the parent as if they had actually been the parent. They are going to be on the birth certificate for the child. And so they are going to have all the legal responsibilities of parenthood, such that if the party were to break up in the future, they would still could be still responsible for child support for the child or other things. And the child will inherit from them as if they had been their child that was born to them. Okay, that makes really good sense. To just back up a half a step, however, with respect to terminating the other parent's rights, 
it seems like that might have two different ways that could go. One is the abandonment where there's no name on it, but the other one might be where the parent is actually doing this voluntarily. That's correct, David. And those are the easiest ones to do. I've had cases, a couple of cases, where the father is in prison and is not going to be getting out, and they usually owe a great deal of child support. Now, you can't sell children, but certainly some fathers are motivated by the fact that it might relieve them of any further child support opportunities. Although it says in statute that you cannot terminate your parental rights just to try and rid yourself of a child support opportunity. There has to be someone that is willing to stand in your place. Not just anyone can terminate their parental rights. It has to be specifically that there is a new person that is willing to say, I want to be this child's father or mother. So you're suggesting that the other way where there isn't a person to do the actual voluntary termination, those are a little more difficult? Yes, because you actually have to bring a separate action. It's brought under a juvenile file, and it is called a termination of parental rights action. Attorneys can bring those. You can do a private termination of parental rights. You have to notify the county attorney's office, and they can intercede. It can be quite messy and expensive. Then you have to allege one of the statutory reasons that allow you to terminate a parental rights. And as I say, in those cases, it is usually abandonment. But in the case you mentioned before, abandonment where there is no one on the birth certificate, that actually is easy because termination of parental rights, they have to be an identified parent who has a legal obligation with the child. It is the kind of thing where you really do need an attorney who knows what they're doing in order to handle it on your behalf. Then we get to the filing of the petition for adoption and the related paperwork. What exactly are we talking about? Again, this is an area where you really do want to have an attorney that knows what they're doing, and adoptions are really a matter of just filing the right paperwork, making sure that you answer the questions. And there are some standardized forms we use, and the courts have certain things that have to be in the documents, the pleadings, we call them, in order to adopt the child. It's a matter of filling out all that paperwork, filing it in district court, paying the filing fee, and then it is referred over to the adoption worker who does that Adam Walsh study. Can you describe what the Adam Walsh study is exactly? That sounds like a familiar name. It was the case of the young boy that was basically kidnapped from the store and then the father went on and did that TV show. But what does the Adam Walsh study uh, entail? Basically what the parties have to do is they have to provide their fingerprints. What they're doing is looking at their criminal histories. They want to make sure that the person adopting the children are good people. And that's in essence what they're looking for. There is also what's usually waived in step-parent adoptions that is done in an ordinary adoption, the private adoptions or the adoptions that you see done through most agencies. They have to do what's called a home study. If the parties have been living together for more than a year, that can be waived. And so that's just, again, it's a separate pleading done with the court asking to waive the home study. And in most cases, the courts are willing to do that. If they don't waive the home study, then the adoption worker, the county has to come in. But I believe in those cases that people have to pay for that home study to be done. 
once these studies are completed, then the adoption can move towards a final step. Is that correct? That's right. As soon as we get back the news that the Adam Walsh study has been done, and if needed, the home study, then the social worker goes and files the report with the court, and then we can set it on for the final hearing, assuming that's been approved. Which I should think would be really a delightful experience for everyone involved. Is it true? or? Oh, yes. It's a wonderful experience. The children come, the child or children. I actually saw one. I was sitting in district court waiting on a different case, and there were actually three children being adopted at the same time. Yeah, and it's really cool because you can bring family, relatives, there's balloons sometimes. There's, oh, no. It's, it's really lovely. It's wow. done privately. And the judge actually usually lets the child sit in the judge's chair, and there's oh. pictures taken at the end. It's the only time you can bring a camera into the courtroom. The child is actually sworn under oath, as the parents are. They all swear that they're going to take care of the child and meet the child's needs. The child is asked, do you want this person to adapt? You and the child actually approves. Yes. Oh. It's if they're old enough. One recently that I'm thinking of, it was a nine year old boy and it was really quite touching. One that you had been involved in. Yes. Oh. Now, there's an additional topic here with respect to step-parent adoption and how that may work for same-sex couples. Can you describe a little bit about how that may work? The nice thing in Minnesota is is that we recognize same-sex couples, and now they are able to get married. Even before they were able to get married, Minnesota would allow them to jointly petition to adopt the child. It is still the standard procedure for one of the parents, even if the parties adopt a child from, say, China. In most states, only one party can petition for the adoption, but then the other parent can do one of these step-parent adoption petitions to also be named the parent of the child. That would be quite similar to what we had just previously discussed regarding step-parent adoption, right? They are treated exactly the same. Oh, good. Absolutely. It is. It's really wonderful. This is a lovely part of the law. The only thing I really want to make the point on is that if you're a biological parent and you want your new spouse to adopt your child, first make sure that the two of them want to do it. The child and the step-parent. Yes, if they're of a sufficient age. I think they should be consulted and make sure that the whole family's on board. The next step is that's the person who should see the attorney, not you. There have been a couple cases where the mom has wanted to come in and meet with me and have her husband adopt the child, and that person really wasn't aware of the level of responsibility. The best ones are where both parents come in, but where there's no pressure on the step-parent to have to be forced to adopt the child because it is taking on the legal responsibilities of being a full parent. And everything subsequent to that, as you pointed out earlier. That's correct. Anything else that we need to cover regarding step-parent adoption? Well, the main point to make is that it really is different when it is a third party and that there are other procedures where you don't actually have to adopt the child. There is such a thing as third-party custody, and we've addressed that in other podcasts. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, David. And everyone, have a great day. You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law. 
who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundal Law website at mundallaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.